Well, thank you, Naomi. I appreciate that so very much, and what a great song. Our text is Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. But you may want to put your bulletin in 2 Peter chapter 3, because we'll be going to there after a while as well. But our text is Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. As we look at the similarity of Christ's first and second comings. Okay, in our text now in Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city And the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured out, shall be poured upon the desolate. Now shall we pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to once again to study your word. We thank you that Jesus did come. We especially thank you that he's coming again. I pray that as we look at this message today, that the very Spirit of God would speak to hearts and do what I cannot do. Help us to rightly divide your word. If there's one in this auditorium who does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that there's one that has wandered far from you, today would be the day they come home. And we'd ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It seems that there would be no similarity between the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. The first time he comes, he's born in a stable to very poor parents. The second time he comes, he's coming on a white steed. He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming and he's going to touch down on earth where everybody sees him. That first coming, wise men were searching for him. And they said, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? The second time he comes, everyone sees him. But this time they try to hide from him rather than wanting to see the coming king of kings. 
And so when we think of that, uh, let's see the similarity, though, because there are similarities between the first and second coming. But I'm looking at the similarity in the time frame. There was a time frame in which Jesus would come the first time. As we look to our text, we see some things about that first coming. Understand our text is written over 500 years before the first coming of Jesus Christ. It gives this description and even provides a somewhat of a time frame for his first coming without us even really realizing it. The time frame that's been laid out so often uh, things are so easy to miss and here's one of those things. In verse 25, you'll notice that there was a break between the seven weeks and the threescore and two weeks. In verse 26, we're told that the Messiah shall be cut off. In order for Messiah to be cut off, he must be here. And so he can't cut, be cut off if he's not here. So he'll be cut off at the end of that time. Now, men would not know the day nor the hour of his coming. Even the first time. But they would know when it is soon. And in like matter, we'll know when it is soon, although we know not the day nor the hour of his second coming. The weeks in our passage stands for a week of years. For an example, one week would be uh, seven years. But then also, we see that there, after the seven weeks, there is three score and two weeks. Now, the seven weeks is 49 years. The three score and two weeks is 434 years. Added together, it makes 483 years. Now, I believe those are continuous years. I don't think that there's a break between the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. And you say, well, then why would he say seven weeks and then 62 weeks? Why would he say that? And I believe there's a good reason for that. We'll see later that uh, I believe that the... decree went out in 445 B.C. from Artaxerxes. But if you take the seven weeks first, that would take it down to right around 396 B.C. from 445, 49 years, and then that takes it down to about 396, 397 in that era B.C. Now, if it's 397 or 396 B.C. that uh, it, it gives there, why would it cut off there? I believe there's a special reason for that. The book of Malachi ends the Old Testament. It was also the last book that was written for the Old Testament. And before Messiah is cut off, the Old Testament is is the the canon of it, the, the, the writing of it is closed. And you know, God is so wise. He is so wise. It's cut off, and there will be almost a 400-year period before Christ appears. And that tells us that uh, some people have tried to write books in between. they called the Apocrypha books. The Lord is giving us this, this way so that we're not looking at the Apocrypha books as part of the Bible. They weren't even added to the Bible in, in the Catholic Church until in the 1500s. And it's just like people with new versions of the Bible. They're putting out new things today as if uh, they're being inspired by God as the apostles were in writing new 
Testament. They weren't. They aren't. We have the Word of God. We don't have to add to it at all. As a matter of fact, the Lord warns of judgment for those that would add to it. The key then is seen in this times. It starts with the command to restore and build Jerusalem. And I say that because there are some scholars, and they may even teach this still today, that says, well, we think it began with Cyrus in 538 B.C. when uh, he said that uh, he wanted the temple to be rebuilt. And so some say it began with him. Others think Darius did it later uh, when the command uh, was to re- he reordered the building of the temple because they didn't carry it out under Cyrus. And so he read Cyrus' edict. He says, okay, carry this out. But both of those things are dealing with the temple only. Rebuilding the temple. That's not what our text said from the time that it goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. The street, the wall. And he said, even in troublous times. Artaxerxes did this, historians tell us, around 445 B.C. He gave that commandment to rebuild. And it is recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8. And a reading of the book of Nehemiah will show that it was indeed in troublous times. Because as he builds, they have a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. As they rebuild in troublous times, exactly like the Bible said before it happened. Before it happened, he said, how would it happen? There's a guy that wrote back many, many, many years ago. His name was Sir Robert Anderson. And he wrote a book about the coming priest, and he really studied this out, and I believe that he did a very good job with it. Some things may be just a little bit this way, a little bit that way, but uh, that's why we don't know the day or the hour, okay? But in his books, he, he made a very good observation. And that observation is this. The Jewish calendar refers to Jewish history. Not our calendar. The Jewish year is 360 days, not 365 days. That's why every 11 years they add a month. A 30-day month. And so theirs is a little bit different than ours, but in the long run it comes out, but God, if he writes this book about Israel, if you look in the book of Revelation, excuse excuse me, if you look in the book of Revelation, you have uh, 1,260 days, 40 and 2 months. It's all on that 30-day level. That's the way it looks at it. And so what I'm trying to say is this, is that when you're looking at the Bible and you're looking at prophecy, don't use our calendar, you use the Bible calendar, okay? And so we find out that uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, 1, out of the, uh, that was the month that this decree went out. It was in the month Nisan. That was the first time they had a car. Uh, but it was in the month Nisan of 445 B.C. By the way, don't go home and tell people that. They'll think that that's true. Um, but it was in 445 B.C. And, and uh, it, it went out at that time. Now, 
Messiah will be cut off at the end of that 69-week period. Uh, Anderson writes it out to be 173,880 days or 483 years. In his book, he brought it to approximately 32 A.D. of April. I think you can give either way four or five years, either before that or after that, but it's close. It's close. And again, that's why nobody knows the day nor the hour. But common sense again says that Jesus Christ had to be born before he could be cut off. And if you do the math, then the people of Jesus' day, they couldn't know the day or the hour, but they could know the birth of Messiah was near. And by the way, if we'll just look at the Word of God, we can see that His second coming is near. Now you'll notice in verse 26 that the city is destroyed and the sanctuary is after the cutting off of the Messiah, not before, it's after. So whenever Messiah was cut off, if it was A.D. 32 or A.D. 30 or A.D. 27, I've heard all kinds of dates. Understand that the other part of that, the, the destruction of the city didn't happen until A.D. 70. So there is a period of almost 40 years in there between the end of Christ being cut off and the city being destroyed. That tells me that there was something that stopped it right there. The 70th week, which comes out to 490 years, hasn't happened yet. Why not? Because that's where we are. We are the period between the 69th and the 70th week. This is the period of the local church. And that's that in which we dwell right now. The people of the prince in verse 26 refers to the Roman army. The prince is the Roman general Titus. Not the Titus of the Bible, but the Roman general Titus. And the end is with the flood. And historians tell us that actually... Streams of blood flooded the streets of Jerusalem. And Jesus got it right, whether it was 30 or 40 years ahead of time, Jesus got it right in, in Matthew 24, 2. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. It was destroyed completely. Israel, from that point, was not a land, and they remained so until 1948 that they were back in the land. But, the Bible mentions Jerusalem. They were not back in Jerusalem until 1967. Israel has to be back in the land before the 70th week can take place. That 70th week, a week of seven years, that is, is the period known as the tribulation. It will be the worst time of earth's history. 
Man will have known, will not know such destruction as since the flood time. Well over half the world's population will die in violent ways, in many of them. Other ways, starvation, even from wild animals, disease and sickness. It'll be the worst time of man's history. The great thing is if you're in Christ Jesus now, you will miss that. You will miss that. The Bible also teaches the rapture. So Israel is back in the land. And that, I believe, ties in with the prophecy of Ezekiel 37. You remember the old spiritual, the toe bones connected to the foot bone and the foot bone to the, but that's biblical. That is biblical. We, we need to learn some biblical songs, and that's one of them. Okay? Because when you think about it, it has a great picture for us today. He gives the command for the body to come together, and it comes together, and there's skin upon it. But then there's a body, there's a whole valley of bodies Ezekiel's looking at. He gave the command. God says, command it, and he commands. Everything starts shaking. They come together, and there's entire bodies laying there, skin and all, still not moving, still dead as doornails, okay? That's it. And then the Lord says, breathe. Call the air. And they enter, breath enters into them, and they stand up. I believe Israel gathered together today is Israel gathered together as those bodies before they had the breath. They won't have the breath of life until the one that gives the breath of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes at the end of the tribulation. Then it will happen. But until then, gathered together as they are today, they're just like that valley that the bones have come together. They've come back into the land. A country that was dead, a country that wasn't there, all of a sudden they're back and they're there and they're building. And we see the only thing that awaits now is the tribulation after which Jesus Christ comes back. But you know, these details that we have in Daniel written 500 years before Jesus' birth, over 500 years before his birth, could tell us. That should tell us that the people of that day could have known uh, that Jesus was soon to come. They could know that the birth of Messiah was near. Isn't it interesting? Herod asked, where is he that's to be born the king of the Jews? When he asked where is he to be born, they said in Bethlehem. All the religious leaders knew where he was to be born. They had this scripture. They, they knew the book of Micah that said that he would be born in Bethlehem. What they didn't have was faith in the word of God. They just simply did not trust him. So when Herod sends soldiers to kill him, to kill this Messiah... Those Jewish priests aren't going to Bethlehem. They think it's a non-thing. Let them go on. Let them go ahead. It isn't anything, they think. We see also in that day, Anna and Simeon. 
Both had waited to see the Messiah. They knew that he could come at any time. They knew that the day was very near in Luke chapter 2 verse 26. And it was revealed unto him, that is unto Simeon, by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the anointed one that would take away the sin of the world. We know that Christ was coming the first time according to the scripture. But we also know that he's coming again. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, 3 now. 2 Peter chapter 3, as I told you earlier, because I want you to see that the scriptures also talk about him coming again. Uh, do you have to be a rocket scientist to see that if God gives us a timeline on the first coming, that there's a few, can be a few years off, but you can also see that you can know when it's near. The Bible says that Jesus said the, that second coming be kind of like a woman with child. You'll know that it's near, but you're just not sure the day or the hour. And we can know when it's near. In Second Peter chapter 3, let's look in verses 2 through 4. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles, the Lord and, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And by the way, we have scoffers today. My emails reveal that very clearly that I get from our radio program. And, and there are plenty of scoffers they don't lack. But I find it's interesting he mentioned the prophets and the apostles in verse 2. Prophets are referring to the Old Testament prophets. Apostles, the New Testament. And they're all in agreement on this thing as the word of God has no contradictions. So isn't, isn't it interesting that in the first coming, men knew by the scriptures, but yet they're not there looking for him. I find it interesting in today, you can go to Hollywood and the news media, and they like to use terms such as Armageddon, rapture, and like words. The problem is they don't believe it. They simply don't believe it. It's like saying, how could there be an actual virgin birth? Many don't believe that there was an actual virgin birth. How could that be? See, man tries to understand by his understanding than realizing who God is. Anyone that can speak the worlds into an existence, a virgin birth is no problem. Anyone that can rise bodily from the death of virgin birth is no problem. But the scoffers will have their say. We read in verses 5 through 10, For they, this they willingly are ignorant of, that the word of God, uh, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, 
One day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Oh, yes. They, re, they didn't believe. They scoffed about a flood. They scoffed Moses. A coming flood. What do you think? What's wrong with you? It hasn't ever rained. I hear preachers today that say, now look, get this fire brimstone stuff out of your mind. Uh, hell is not a real lake of fire. It's just the place where you're separated from God. And I can't think of anything worse than to be separated from God. Men are living today separated from God, and they don't care. So why does that make any difference? Look, hell is a real place. The rich man in hell said, I am tormented in this flame. He wanted relief. Now, it's bad enough there's a group that doubted the first flood, and as a matter of fact, we even today have people that say it didn't flood. I don't know what they're going to say at the judgment when they find out there was. But there was a flood, and there's coming a literal hell. The judgment and perdition of ungodly men speaks of destruction. That's what the word perdition is. Judgment and perdition speaks of destruction of ungodly men. That is men without God. That's what ungodly means. Without. Without God. Without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yet that's not what God wants because verse 9 he says that he's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. That's his heart. That's his desire. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Verse 10 said, but the day of the Lord will come. There's going to come a time when that's it. It's over. He cuts it off and your opportunity is gone. Some people wait until 12 o'clock to get saved and 11.30 they die. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And it's just as sure as the Bible predicted the first coming is that second coming of Christ. The second time, his second coming is not the rapture. We meet him in the air. But after that seven-year tribulation, he touches earth. That's his second coming. But he said the elements would melt with fervent heat. The elements are speaking of the first steps of matter. The first steps of matter would be atoms. That's why we know that the Bible is God-breathed. Peter in Acts chapter 5, was, they said of him that he was an ignorant and unlearned man. Because he didn't have their education in their colleges so when he's writing these words he has no idea of atomic theory <laughs> I don't have any idea of atomic theory so he has no idea I'm glad to be in Peter's boat there alright he had no idea of atomic theory see these are God's words they're not Peter's he's only Taking the dictation. He's only writing down what the very Spirit of God says. You know, when I say that, there are these people that are 
consider themselves intellectuals and professors and they get upset. Oh, no. God just guided his thinking. Yeah, God did. He gave him every word and told him to write it down. But also as we look at this, they said all, all things continue as they were since the fathers fell asleep. You ever wonder about this though? Right here in the middle of this passage, verse 8, this judgment passage, he says one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Why would he say that? I believe man has had six days. In Psalms chapter 90 and verse 4, a thousand years are in thy sight as but yesterday, and when it is past, it is as a watch in the night. Again, Old Testament, New Testament both refer to a thousand years as a day. I personally view man's history as 6,000 years. So that means we're in the sixth day. Christ is coming back, according to Revelation chapter 20, to set up a 1,000-year reign, the seventh day, a day of rest. It is a day when all things are so much better. There is no war. All is peace. There's the lion and the lamb. They lie down together. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9 say it this way. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, and shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I actually heard a radio guy interviewing a preacher about that. And when the preacher left, he busted out laughing. He says, how dumb can you get to believe something like that? Guess what? How dumb can you get not to believe God? Now, when we look at that as a timetable, what, what do we have any indication in the Bible? Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. The tearing and the smiting took place in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and leveled. Now they're being brought back. It's being healed and bound up. But they're not revived until after the two days. Wait a minute. Hosea said after two days? After what two days? After, 
after the destruction of Jerusalem. 1,000, 2,000 years. Give or take a few years, that's close. That is very close. We don't know the day or the hour. Anybody that says they do, uh, just turn them off because they don't know the word of God. But a day is with the Lord as a thousand years. That is why that is in Second Peter chapter 3. That is why it is in Psalms chapter 90. A day with the Lord when we're talking about judgments is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Oh, my friend, the time is coming. And that millennial rest, but before that millennial rest, there's going to be a tribulation. So when we read there in Hosea, we read these scriptures. Israel entering into the land in a miraculous way in 1967 to Jerusalem is no coincidence. Just as we're in the, there in the land in unbelief of Christ as the Messiah, the skin is on. They're there in Jerusalem. The next thing that needs to happen is the tribulation hour, which takes place after we're caught up to be with the Lord. And then the second coming to earth of our Savior. The first coming of our Savior was laid out 500 years earlier. The Lord realizes that we're not quite as smart as those Jews, so he's given us over 2,000 years. Now, Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Don't miss the purpose of his first coming. The purpose of that first coming was to save your soul. To neglect it. You don't have to get angry at it. You don't have to get mad at it. You don't have to call it names. You can just not do anything about it and you'll still go to hell. You see, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. We've all sinned. We've all come short of who Jesus is. He was God coming in the flesh. We're measured next to Him, not to one another. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages, Romans 6.23, of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. One second after death, it's too late. It's too late. You can't say, well, Jesus, I'm ready to be saved now. Your time is past. One second after death. And yet Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, just like we are. You can't get good enough for him. I can't get good enough for him. You don't get good enough for the Lord to save you. No, he paid for all your sin, all my sin. 1 John 2, 2 says, Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He paid the penalty. So God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, the most 
some of the most profound words of the Bible says, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, your life, man believeth unto righteousness. You see, remember those people, the, those, those religious leaders that Herod said, where is he to be born, your Messiah? Oh, Bethlehem. They knew that in their head, but in their heart, uh-uh. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, not your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. With the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For whosoever, now my friend, God doesn't lie. God does not lie. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And since God doesn't lie, no matter who you are today, if you don't, you're not sure if you died that heaven's your home, you come to him. He will save you. He really will. Let's bow our heads, please.